0: Uh, God, I just want to thank you so much for the vacation, uh, for us being able to come down here just get out of the world for a little bit uh, to focus on you, to focus on this family that we have, um, to know that we have brothers and sisters in Christ in different, in different states, um, different races, different socioeconomic statuses. It just, it's just really cool to be able to come down here and feel like none of that stuff matters, um, that we're all one body um, and one family. And I just pray that you know we're gonna learn lots of principles this weekend about things that we can do to encourage each other, um, commands that you want us to do when we get back home, and uh, just a, a big benefit and encouragement to go back home to our college campuses and light them up. Um, so I just pray All that's your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so <coughs> my lesson was topic uh, making brothers out of others, and uh, I'll probably pause quite a bit because I'm kind of getting over the flu and I cannot take four or five words without a pop coming in. So uh, bear with me today. But uh, my lesson was titled Making Brothers Out of Others and just the whole idea and the topic of evangelism. Um, And just just to kind of just jump right into this, just to understand the idea of evangelism uh, (coughs) is by far one of the hardest components of being a disciple. It's one of the things that um, doesn't come natural. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a gift from God that you just automatically be able, are able to evangelize people. It never says it anywhere in the Bible that once you become a disciple, God gives you these gifts to be able to go talk to other people and be very successful at it, to bring others to Christ. That's not what he says at all. Um, but what he does say is in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission that we all know, where he says, you need to go out and do this. He says, this is something that I'm commanding you. You need to go out to all nations, baptizing them, changing their way of life, changing their thinking of life, showing them, teaching them what I've taught you. Um, that's evangelism. That's what God is calling us to do. And so we know very early in our <coughs> relationship with God, and if you've been studying the Bible with, and if you have chosen to commit your life to Christ, you should know by now that this is something that God expects out of you. That this is something that He wants you to do. Um, not when you feel like it, but it's a command at all times to show up in your life, to choose to make, make, make brothers out of others, to make uh, family members out of people that are complete strangers. Um, just even saying that out loud is just kind of a would-be taboo in the world. Say, it's my job to go find strangers and make them my brothers. You think about your family members that you grew up with. Maybe you don't come from a good household, but maybe you have siblings and you guys, even though you guys have crap, you have drama and you have things going on during the holidays, <coughs> you're still family, right? And you still have that connection from when you were a kid and when you guys grew up together. So it doesn't matter what really goes on, you're still family. And yet you're supposed to go out and find complete strangers and treat them like that. That's not a very natural thing to do. Um, and so what we're <coughs> going to talk about today is just that very principle of how we can how we can get better at this. So I'm not going to use a lot of scripture today because we know it's something we need to do. The Bible calls us to do that. We're going to talk more about the application side. And I'm hopefully going to kind of breeze through this pretty quick and maybe open up some Q&A at the end about maybe some specific things. Because I really want to, get, I want to get technical today. I want to talk about things that we can do on our campuses, things that we can do. I want to give you guys a game plan and not just an inspiration. Like, yeah, maybe I should do this. More of like, okay, I'm going to try these out when I get home. And so that's kind of the direction that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> um, and so the first thing I think we need to understand is just the attitude that we need to have behind it the attitude behind evangelism when you look in Matthew 9.36 Jesus, <coughs> Jesus says here, when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and this initially is the attitude that Christ has towards the lost towards people who are not his followers he doesn't say when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them, and that was it. And then he left. And when he saw the crowds, he just looked at them and walked the other way. It said he had compassion on them because they were helpless, because they were harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. If you guys think about <coughs> sheep without a shepherd, that's like thinking of like a like a puppy or a kitten or something like that without their like a straight out of the womb without their mom or dad cat with them, right? To think about how helpless and how innocent that little animal is to not have anything around. That's the way that Jesus viewed people. He viewed those people in those ways that was like, these people are helpless. They don't have anything to hold on to. They don't have people in their lives. Um, many of you guys have been blessed with the ministry. Many of you guys have been blessed with a church, with a family, with a unity, with a connection. And you need to you need to remember where you came from and what you didn't have a few years ago or what you didn't have before your life with Christ to inspire you to have that attitude of what you need to be looking at people when you walk onto your campuses today. Because I know, from speaking for firsthand, I get very selfish, and I get very laid back, and I get very entitled that, to think that this is what I've been given years and years ago, but I've forgotten about it, and this is my life now, and it's awesome, it's great, and I just want to continue on my way. And so, <coughs> a lot of times we need to remember how helpless we were, like Jesus used these people. We were all those people at one point in our lives. None of us grew up... And an environment that was completely even if you grew up in a church it wasn't completely strengthened at the entire base the entire walk the entire time and maybe there were times where it was very strong but for the most part you know i've been at this campus ministry retreat <coughs> for almost 10 years now and just looking at the college kids that come in from the different ministries this is this is a very unchurched retreat this is a very unchurched Campus ministry and campus ministries locally, and what that means is that we find lost people, we find people who've been beaten and broken down, and these helpless people. And so I know these ministries, and I know these campus ministers, and and the, and the people that they choose to target on campuses, and it's you don't have it together. None of us have had it together from day one, and we need to remember that and remember how you view these people, <laughs> because that's the attitude of Christ. And that's how we need to have our attitudes targeted and rewired in our heads towards the people that we see on campus. And when we choose to look at people any other way than that, we may miss our opportunity. to When you guys look at at those people on your campuses, the guys, the girls, the frats, the sororities, the cliques, whatever it is, when you look at those people in any other way than the way that Jesus chose to look at them in the Bible, you may miss that moment. Because you are not looking at them the same way that God should look at them to inspire them. And so <coughs> that's just kind of what the mindset I want to kind of get you guys set up in as we kind of walk through some of this stuff. Um, and I guess the next thing I kind of want to talk about is when we talk about evangelism, we need to talk about the humility that needs to go behind it, okay? And what, that, what I'm talking about is... <coughs> Nobody in here is a master evangelist, okay? Because like I said, I've been coming here for 10 years and I have not seen a ministry explode into the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So nobody, nobody's perfect. Nobody knows 100% what they're doing and nobody knows how to effectively get this done in a way that makes everything explode. It's just, it's not a natural thing. And so I think there needs to be some humility to know that we don't all know how to do this right we're all in the same but we don't know how to talk to people sometimes we we are socially operate at times we are not the best communicators at times we maybe sometimes get sweaty hands when we have to go talk to like the popular table or we just we we don't want to sit down with a group of guys playing a a card game that we have no idea what it's about and try to spark a conversation with them or they're not very attractive so it's going to be really weird that I'm socially acceptable but probably they're not so why would I want to go sit and be associated with that kind of person okay God calls us to reach out to all people but yet, sometimes we, we can get fearful when we reach outside of that little circle, right? That little circle of people that we're comfortable reaching out to. I'm totally fine reaching out to athletes because I was an athlete. But there are other social circles that I'm like, I do not want to touch that group because it's so different and diverse from what I'm, from what I'm like. But <clears throat> we need to have the humility to know that we don't know how to plant seeds in every field. We don't. And if you look at that, because that's what evangelism is. Evangelism is planting seeds. It's that simple. It's It's not bringing people to Christ. It's not baptizing people. The idea of evangelism is to spread seeds. It is to plant and plant and plant. It is not your job to harvest. That is God's job. It's your job to plant the seeds in people's hearts and in their minds, to spark a conversation, to get them thinking, to make them understand, maybe something needs to change in my life. And then God can do the rest. And when you guys look at planting things (coughs) in an actual physical way, like thinking about seeds, I don't know about you guys, but I don't have a green thumb or whatever they call it, like whenever you're a really good gardener, right? If I put 10 seeds on this table, 10 totally different seeds from 10 totally different plants, how many of you guys would be able to identify each one of those seeds and then go plant it in the right kind of field and the right kind of climate and know how much to water it to make it what it needs to be? There might be one or two of you guys in here like, I grew up as a farmer, I know exactly what you're talking about, I can get it done, you know? But for the most part, a lot of us would be like, uh, that one looks like an apple seed, that one kind of looks like, maybe they're both apple seeds, kind of deformed, you know? And and then even if we like it, we can look at the apple seeds and be like, I mean, I guess I can go outside and scoop up a little bit of dirt, put it in there and pat it down and you know, you think about those big old pitchers that had like a little spouts of water, just like every day go out there once a day. and." Maybe every maybe in six months I might see like a little a little sprout come up and Yeah, I know what I'm doing, right? We don't know what we're doing, right? If you think about seeds, if you think about physical seeds, and it's really cool that God uses these metaphors in the Bible to have us think about things that are applicable to our world. I don't know a thing about seeds. I don't know how to use seeds, I don't know how to plant them, I don't know the right climates, I don't know the right the the right areas, I don't know. How much water? I don't know. How much sunlight? I don't know. The shade, and then you gotta think about soil because there's apparently good soil and bad soil that I didn't know about. And then you gotta think about like fertilizer, and you gotta protect it from the animal. Like there's there's a ton of stuff that goes into planting things. Um, And then even if you put it in the right environment, it still might not grow. Like I've read like articles where people like it's perfect soil, perfect climate, perfect weather, but no fruit. You know? And so like even if you know how to do it all, there's still this idea that it may not happen. And so (coughs) we need to have the humility when we're talking about it because it's the same way with people. We don't know how to reach out to every single person because there's not a method. There's not this way that is, if you read this book and you apply these principles, you will reach every single person on this earth. It it doesn't happen. It's not there. And so what we have to figure out is the best ways, you know, the best strategies, the best advice, because not one thing is going to work. The best way to evangelize is going to be what works for you. That's it. I'm not going to sit here and give you a model that says this is the seven steps of how I evangelize, and I'm super good at it, and so you guys can follow that. But the best way to evangelize is how you choose to evangelize. (coughs) Um, And, uh... So, what we're going to talk about just a little bit is what evangelism isn't and what it is. But just remembering that it's not a spiritual gift, like I said, it's a skill. And when you think about skills, whether it be an athletic skill, an academic skill, they take practice. It takes time. You you need to be critiqued. You need to have people with you who are more experienced say, "Um, I probably wouldn't have said it like that. Or, you know, maybe this wasn't the right time to spark that type of conversation with that person. Maybe you needed to plant the seed more and not just come in and be like, poof, hey, my name's Jake, you want to know about Jesus? hey, my name's Jake, you want to come to Christ? You know, that's not, that's not evangelism. <coughs> I mean, I guess it is, but it's not effective evangelism, right? Um, and so there's some tact and things going on in those things as well. But we need practice. We need critique. We need, we need older brothers and sisters with us when we're doing those things who are experienced to be able to talk to us and say, hey, let's, let's work on this a little bit. Because if you're going to go out by yourself and not have any clue what you're doing, you're going to continue to not have any clue on what you're doing. Um, and so you just show the ineffectiveness. The and the Bible says <coughs> that um, when you're faithful, fruit will show up. And so part of that faithfulness is obedience, submission, and seeking advice. And if you're not doing those things, maybe that's why you're not showing any fruit. You could be the most faithful, loyal Bible reader, prayer, whatever it is, but there's still other concepts whenever you choose to love on your brothers, listen to your leaders, obey your leaders, get advice. And if those principles aren't showing up, as faithful as you may be, you may, you may want to question, where's the fruit? You know, I've had that thought too. I read my Bible every day. I pray every night. I'm good to my girlfriend. Like, but where's the fruit? Well, if there's not obedience, there's not leaning on your leaders, there's not seeking and absorbing, you're not being completely faithful to what the Bible says. You're not really maturing as a Christian the way that God wants us to. So <clears throat> I was looking through a book. Um, I was talking about evangelism. And these are some of the things that evangelism isn't. Um, evangelism isn't tricking or terrifying or shaming somebody into receiving Christ. And I, I kind of like some of these because they're kind of funny because I've I've have seen this firsthand on campuses where it's like, hey man, we got free pizza tonight at a party. You want to come? I'm like, yeah, let's. I'll go with you. Free pizza, man. It's college. Let's go. And then they get there, and everybody's like, all right, let's sit down for this Bible study. And then they're like, <laughs> I what? I thought I was just going to a party with some free food. I'm like. I mean, while you're here, man, you might as well just listen to the lesson, right? And <laughs> we we sometimes think that that's proper evangelism, right? We have these different things that we can do, but I, I've, I've been guilty of it. You know, we do things called cross chats over in our ministries. And so there there were plenty of times whenever, you know, I was, I was fresh out of the water and I was, like, super inspired to go get people. And then within, like, a few weeks of being on campus, I was super discouraged because everybody was saying no. So then, like, my texts to people and my conversations kind of went from, like, you know, hey, there's this really cool thing that we're doing tonight and we're going to have a house party and we're going to have live music and we're going to have this going on, we're going to have this going on, and then we're going to have like a really small Bible lesson. But everything else is really cool. Like, you should totally come. And like, I totally minimized the most important factor of what we got, what we got going on. And then sometimes I would even delete that little sentence to make it look like it was something that the world was doing. And <coughs> when you do that, you choose to trick and shame and guilt people into things. And then you shouldn't expect fruit from that, you know? And so there's this idea that evangelism is not tricking or shaming your people. Um, it's not, like I said earlier, it's not a single strategy or a method or a program. Though, like, a lot of these could be good. There could be good things from those. But it's, it's not one-dimensional. Evangelism is not a one-dimensional method or program that um, we need to do. <coughs> it's also not a contest in which you win if the person becomes a Christian and you lose if they don't right and we think like that sometimes too like we invest in somebody and we're like man if they get baptized everybody's gonna know i did it right everybody's gonna know i was the one who got in with them i was the one who said Bible with them and if i'm lucky maybe i'll be the one to baptize them um and then it's it's all about me i'm gonna it's gonna look really good for me and then like when they fall away or if they don't want it we have that backwards perspective where we're like and everybody knows it was me that messed this up. Like everybody knows it was me that didn't make this happen, and now everybody's looking at me in the negative way. It's not a win-loss thing. Evangelism um, is not meant to be looked like that. And then, <coughs> um, and then lastly, uh, it's, it's not just successful if you close the deal, which is like we talking about making a Christian. Um, that, uh, evangelism is not about the success of what it is evangelism is a super small component of salvation it's the, it's the beginning steps and when we talk about evangelism we hear the word evangelism we think it means the whole process to come to Christ and it really doesn't evangelism is a very small factor and it's a very small part but it's very huge in the way that you choose to use it but it is not the whole process and a lot of times we we'll try to group it all together And then here's a couple things that evangelism is. (coughs) It is low pressure um, because you're only taking the person as far as they want to go. You're not trying to pressure them or force them into something that they don't want to be about because that's not evangelism, all right? That's what we call cults. (laughs) Um, That's what we call, uh, and we've actually been named that multiple times because even the people in the world, when you just say the word Jesus or you you want to push it, um, they want to think that you're trying to control them. Well, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie. There have been people that I know, even me personally, who I have pushed it too far to the point to make it look like it is a controlling thing. Where were you? Why weren't you here at this? Why didn't you show up? Where have you been? What, whatever. And these people aren't even Christians, you know? And I'm sitting here trying to question their discipleship skills, but yet I can't hold them to a disciple standard because they're not a Christian. They're not a disciple yet. And so when we choose to look at these members or guests of our church Um, as disciples and we try to hold them to those standards, we've got to remember, they're still in the evangelistic phase. They're still in the planting seed phase. And if they don't want it, they don't want it. But when we choose to try to keep pushing and pressing and controlling it, um, we're trying to make them go further than they want to go. And that's not what evangelism is. So, (coughs) remembering that it's very low pressure, very low key, because it's not something that should be forced upon them. Um evangelism sometimes brings in a harvest sometimes it brings in uh, a people into our church and, and disciples but mainly evangelism is just spreading seeds you know it's, it's not it's not the it's not, it's not apples off the tree it's walking around the fields throwing seeds out that's what evangelism is and every once in a while we might get a quick sprout that comes up and eventually turns into fruit right off the bat but for the most part when we talk about evangelism <coughs> it's mainly spreading the seeds um and once again, it's not something that should produce immediate fruit. It may, but it may not. And so it's not something that's a very quick thing. If you want to get into this, uh, this Christian thing, and you want to get into this evangelism idea, <coughs> don't expect uh, you know, a 100% success rate within a few weeks. Don't expect that you know, our spring semester is about to start, or some, for some of you guys that have started on your college campuses, don't expect to have like a ton of baptisms next week <laughs> when you get back. And, you know, that's the mindset that we can have sometimes. We come down here, we get super motivated, and we're like, man, we're going to go back to our campuses, and we're going to hit it up. And within a few weeks, like, nobody's been baptized. Nobody's been at church. Like, nobody. It's because evangelism doesn't mean that that's going to happen immediately. It's not something that's going to happen right then and there. It takes time. So just remembering some of these principles is going to be huge for your mindset when you guys go back and you guys get on your college campuses. I want to I just kind of make sure that we all understand how, how low-key this is but at the same time how important it is. Okay? You're, you can't... Because, and here's why, at least in my life. is because that's when discouragement kicks in the most for me <coughs> when I see no fruit in my life. And that's one of the hardest things for me to look at is where's the fruit um, and what am I doing wrong? And I i am sure that most of you guys have probably been at some some spot in your life that you're like, I've, you know, I sent out like a thousand invites, or I sent out whatever, and I, I have nothing. And where's the fruit? Well, I want you guys to understand that the faithfulness sometimes is just cleaning those seats, is not giving up on that aspect of I'm doing what God's calling me to do. I'm going out and evangelizing, and I'm talking with these people, and I'm making relationships. And it may be years before that person wants to be in a relationship with Christ. You may not be in campus ministry anymore when that person comes to you and says, Hey, I remember a few years back whenever you said something to me, and now we live in the same town and we both have families now. Like, let's talk again, you know? You may not see the fruit that you're going to produce while you're in college campus, but I want you to understand that if you get discouraged now, that this is the most important time for evangelism to show up in your life. This is the most plentiful time for a Um Some of you guys, how many of you guys went to like a high school that was like less than like 50 people? Anybody go to some of those like private schools? Yeah, right. And so a lot of people say high school is the most important time and the most doubtful time because you go to school with hundreds of kids. And then I'm like, well, I know some like private nerds like Claire that <laughs> have that have no, they have. They have a very small circle, so, and, and sometimes some of us went to like private schools, private Christian schools, so it's like, how am I supposed to evangelize when they all come to church anyway on Sundays? Like, they're all in Sunday school, so we're all here already, so I don't have the fruit. But college campus ministry is the, the most available time to go out and just grab a ton of food and go, whoosh, whoosh, and like throw them all over the place because there, there are tons of people on college campuses. And I want you guys to understand that if you guys miss the opportunity now, as you get older, it is so much harder to evangelize. As you guys grow up, you find jobs, you graduate, you get stuck in these spots. It's so many. It's so hard, one, because of your location now, because maybe you're going to the same job for 40 hours a week, and you're just there with the same people for 40 hours a week. Um, and then you have harder opportunities after work, or family, start a family so you have family time at home and things like that too, it just gets harder. But when you're on a college campus, every year new thousands of kids come onto the campus, transfer students, freshmen. All the dorms, everything, and, and then they and then they throw events on campus that bring them all together. It's not like you've got to go knocking on doors in each dorm and be like, "Hey, you a freshman? Are you new on this campus this year?" Well, here you go. Are you new? Are you new? But the college campuses do most of the work for us. They say, "Here's an event. I'm gonna, I'm, a, you know, I go to SIU. I, I'm a campus minister at SIUE, and so you know, SIUE has a very active lifestyle. They have this uh, campus activities board. A lot of college campuses do that kind of stuff too." But I feel like SIU like really does it well. And they throw all these events and they bring in all these speakers and all these comedians and all these movie nights and all these free things. Like throughout the week, you can't walk into the muck. It's like our cafeteria. You can't walk in there without somebody giving away something for free. Free hot chocolate, free t-shirts, free ice cream bar, free social, whatever it is. And so our college campus does a great job of just being like, hey, get out of your dorms and just come here and just, we're going to walk around together randomly and not know everybody. You know? Um, <laughs> we did a, uh, they did a breakfast. You guys remember that for finals week? They did a breakfast during our finals week and they're like, we're going to do a free breakfast on Sunday night before finals um, for anybody that wants to come. It's, it's, it's free. We could not find a seat, right? They were. Three thousand students just sitting down there because they wanted free food, and I'm like, shoot, man, maybe we can just cancel cross and just find SIUE's events and go to theirs, right? Because there's so many people, and so I know that college, I know that SIUE is not the only school doing that. I know that schools do that; it's their job. They hire people to engage student life on campus. They want people. To do that, because ultimately they want alumni, they want people to come back, they want to remember the good experiences they had on campus, so they can pour more money into those schools, so they have people that choose to make student life student life. And so, you guys are in the best position in your lives to spread as many seeds as possible. That does not mean that your campus ministry is going to explode because of it in the next year. It does not mean that. But what it does mean, though, is that your communities, your areas are going to be targeted and seeds are going to be spread <coughs> and over time you may have fruit show up as fast as possible okay it's not going to show up immediately but over time it, i mean it's it's common sense right it's it's the the more the more you, the more seeds you spread the more tips you have of of, of sowing fruit but a lot of times at least i do i'll get that one little apple seed and i'll kind of plant it and you know put it in, I'll just stare at it, you know, and I'm like, this is my best friend, like, they, you know, I know you're smoking weed, and you're doing drugs, and you you don't want anything to do with church, but man, one day you're going to turn into a fruit, (laughs) like, one day you're going to be here with me, man, and then we have thousands and thousands of seeds over there, they're like. Hey, we want to go in the field too, right? Like we want to be thrown in the field. We want to be invited to things, and we spend so much time on that on those few people, right? Those few people that are on our phones that have gotten our phone numbers or whatever, and we forget about the thousands and thousands and thousands of seeds that are just sitting in the bag, just waiting to be thrown out. And so, <coughs> um, we have to think. We have to think bigger than what we're comfortable with. And what so what we're going to do just for a few minutes now is I, I found a scripture. Um, uh, of Jesus, and, and a lot of people have probably heard this this passage. It's Jesus and the Samaritan woman, and this is an awesome example of what evangelism looks like. And so, we're going to kind of just walk through this and have some applicable principles to this, some things that maybe we can try <coughs> when we get back to our college campuses. And so, what I'm going to do is I'm I'm going to read through it first, um, and then we're going to come back to it and we're just going to kind of look at a couple different things that I've noticed that Jesus does. (coughs) So we're starting off in John 4. Okay? Uh, John 4, chapter 1. And it says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned about this, he left Judea and went back once more to to Galilee. (coughs) Now, he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town Samaria called Sychar, near the point of the ground of Jacob, had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. Then the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. (coughs) Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, "You have done nothing to, or you have nothing to draw water from the well. Dan, the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well and who drank from it himself and also did his sons and flocks of herds?" Jesus answered, "Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become like a spring of water welling into his eternal life." Then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Well, I'll cut cut it off there. So, (coughs) suspense, right? We got a little story in the Bible, some drama where Jesus interacts with this woman. And I could go on and just kind of tell you what happened. Some of you guys know, some of you guys don't, but I'm going to cut off there and you guys can read on and figure out what happened. But I want to stop there so you guys didn't know the effect of what Jesus did because I think that's important too to know. It doesn't matter what happened to that woman, right? It doesn't matter um, the effect. What matters, first off, is that Jesus approached her. And that's what evangelism is. If we're going to look at different things in in the Bible with Jesus, a lot of times we want to look at the effects. We want to look at what happened because of what he did. And sometimes we totally forget about what he did to make the effect happen. (coughs) (laughs) And that's what evangelism is to start with, is... You, you, can't, you can't be focused on the effects. You can't be focused on what's going to maybe happen because of it. Evangelism is very, is very single-minded towards, it doesn't matter what's going to happen to this person or what they're going to choose to do, but I'm going to initiate it anyway. I'm going to invest in it anyway, no matter what they want. Because if you have the mindset of, I want them to be saved, I want them to be saved, and if they're not saved, I'm going to stop doing this then you're never going to be an effective evangelist and you're never going to be able to, to spread the word like God is asking you to do. When you think about evangelism, you've got to think less about yourself and what you want and more about what you can offer to each and every one of these people. And so really thinking about that first idea, um, that evangelism is not, like I said, it is not saving people. It's not salvation. Evangelism is playing the seeds. It's your work here on earth. Um... Not, not taking God's job over for him. Okay. So the first thing you know, when I think about what he did uh, in verses three through five, he was willing to go. So when you think about evangelism, you have to be willing to go. It says in verse three through five, it says <coughs> uh, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he went through Samaria, came through a town. So the dude was traveling. Jesus was traveling quite a bit. And so, if you're going to be if you're going to be a, an effective evangelist um, for your campus ministry for your church, you have to be able to go. And one of the basic, one of the important things for me is time on campus. You know, we talk about that quite a bit. Your your time on campus. What is your time on campus? You know, I think about uh, the, there. There was a commercial that used to run a few years back for a a jewelry company, like a ring company. And you know, the guy, some of you have before, but like, the guy walks into the jeweler and he's like, You know, I want to get married. Um, it's that time, and I, I just don't know how much to spend on my wife. I don't know really, like, what the price range is like a good ring or whatever. And he's like, So, like, what do, what do you guys recommend? And then the jeweler says, Well, how much is she worth to you? You know? And that's like the, the businessman cop out, because obviously the woman is worth the world to him and everything to him. So the jeweler's pretty much saying, well, then you should buy her the most expensive thing, because if that's how much she's worth to you, then we have that selection right over here. (laughs) The the $400,000 rings right here, because that's what she's worth to you, right? Um, (coughs) The same can be said about saving souls, about evangelizing. How how much is it worth to you, um, these lives that are up there on those campuses? If it's, if it's not worth that much to you and it doesn't mean that much to you, then you will not spend that much time on campus. You will not be outside of your dorms. You will not be there living off campus after work. You will treat campus more like a job um, for, for education than you will passion for Christ. And so the first question is, is you know, what, what, what do these lives mean to you? Are they worth it to you? Are they worth something to you? because if they are, you will spend more time on campus. And you know i've had I've had lots of campus ministers um, over the years ask me, you know, what is the right amount of time Like three hours a day, two hours a day, three times a week, four times a week? How much time should I be on campus? And I mean i'll I'll use that same thing. I was like, well, you know what are, what are those people worth to? You, <laughs> you know um, and that makes me feel guilty because I'm like, dude, I should be up there even more now that I just said that to these people. I just challenge myself through my own talk. Um, but that's what we have to really think about. The, if these people really mean something to you that you don't know and you haven't met yet, then you're going to invest more time to try to find them and have those conversations with them. Um, <coughs> and if they don't mean a lot to you, then you won't be up there. And this might be a good reflection time for maybe what you've done this last semester. If you guys have been on campus last semester. How much time have you physically spent on your college campuses last year? Not at your cross chats or your Bible studies or your talks because that's not evangelism. Evangelism is not having those conversations once they're there. Evangelism is going out finding totally random strangers and saying hey you know what's up and we'll talk about a little bit more here in a minute about how we can approach those conversations but it's going out and finding total random strangers on college campuses and, and and having conversations and i know a lot of times for me i want to sit back and wait for them to get cross shot i want to wait for them to get to church or wait for them to get to a group hangout and that's not evangelism that's what we call follow-up <laughs> you know they're already there so now if you to follow up and invest that's not the evangelist's point but we've got to go find random people if we want our churches to explode if we want this thing to get busted out you know if we found you know, we talk about this every year but if we found one more person per person here we wouldn't fit in that room over there. If we had doubled in size in one year just to find one person yourself, if you found one person that wanted to commit their life to Christ <coughs> and we brought them all next time, we would not fit <coughs> And that's, that's all it takes. But to find that one person, you may have to go through 100, 150 different seats. Um, and that's just, that's just the work of the Lord. <laughs> that's just what God has called you to do here um, on this earth. Uh, also, when you're willing to go, Jesus didn't stay the same place. So sometimes we gotta switch it up. So maybe you are somebody that's on campus, and you're like, I'm on campus every day. Like I live on campus, or I have classes every day. Um, where do you go? You, you know, ask yourself that. Sometimes we need to switch it up. You know, this this past semester, I really got into basketball again. Um, I'm an alumni, so I'm not a student, but I, at our school, uh, alumni get free gym memberships, and we get to be able to play intramurals and do all this other stuff. And so I've I just invested in the gym immediately, and I started playing basketball with the same guys, and it became more of a thing where we I'd show up, you know, I'd show up like on Wednesday, and be like, hey John, hey Beyonce, hey something, and I'm like, let's go, you know, we just we just run the court back and forth, um, and maybe there'd be like a new guy or two there, but I was in the I was always going to the same place on campus, and I started to realize that, you know, at first when, when the semester started, it was great because I didn't know anybody, but then at the end of the semester, I was like what did I just spend the last few months on because it's the same people in here at the same time, the same days. Switch it up. Jesus did not go to the same places. He had to travel to different cities and different towns and he met different people. And so if you guys want to do that, don't do the regular things. Don't always sit with your group at the same lunch table the same day, at the same place, at the same time. Don't always walk the same route to your class. You know, walk the long way when it's nice outside. When it's cold outside, take the short way. You know, like, just, Mix it up. Uh, Go to the library. Even if you're an athlete. You know, that's what I say to myself. I'm an athlete. I'm not I don't belong in a library. There's like a big sign on the front of the library for me that says no athletes allowed. Um but that's just my mindset. I don't belong in there. But maybe I need to go in there. You know, maybe I need to eat lunch an hour later or eat (laughs) breakfast an hour earlier. Or whatever it is. Ask yourself what things need to be switched. You need to get yourself out of your regular mindset um, to find new fruit. Because usually fruit kind of has the same track. You know, they go through the same, the same schedule and it's your responsibility to break their schedule. Um, don't expect them to break it for you. You know, find new people with your own sacrifice. Don't expect them to sacrifice for you. Alright? Uh, so you've got to be willing to go. The next one is you've got to be willing to work when tired. Jesus says in verse 6, or he says in verse 6, Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. <coughs> and so the next one is you got to be willing to work when you're tired. Um, and this is one of the hardest things because, you know, I'm, I'm a campus minister <coughs> and I was lucky enough to be put on staff. I used to be an athletic director um, before this. And uh, it's tough, man. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to know that, like, I'm staffed by my church now so that I can, this is my full time job to go do this. But it wasn't like this before, and I and I'll tell you right now, I would not I would not be a campus minister if it wasn't for the effectiveness I had before I was a campus minister. It wasn't like you know our, we just planted this church, with Carrie, and Robert, and and everybody, and they weren't like, we need somebody who's willing to go. We'll give you a salary, like, <laughs> and I it wasn't like, hey, I'll, I'll take a salary. <laughs> you know, like, that's not how it worked for us. But you know we had this interview process with our with our church plant, and they there was you know. 40 or 50 people that were like, I would like to go in that church plane And they they sat down, the core membership of that church sat down with every single person in an interview process. And they asked those questions. How has your effectiveness been? How has your evangelism been? Where's the fruit? Where's your life been? What are you, how are your finances? What? How do you tie? Like They intensely interviewed people. Um, <coughs> and they looked at where their lives were. And then looked if this was something that was going to benefit the kingdom to send them to a different state or if it was going to be a a distraction and a burden the hindrance to those people and i was not without that either you know at that time too i was uh uh, in here he, he took my old job as an athletic director and he can tell you firsthand how much work it is i was working 50 60 hours a week and still trying to be a campus leader and going up on campus and meeting these people and it's tough and so I'm not, I'm not, not going to sit up here and tell you that this is my job because it's easy and you should all do it too. But I know how tough it is when you have full-time jobs, when you're working 50, 60 hours a week. And then you're still expected to have a marriage or have kids. Or for some of you guys are not even there yet. <coughs> but to still be able to go up on campus and be effective um, and find new people. It's very tough to do that when you're tired. But when we look at Jesus, that was... That was on his mind at all times. To be a good evangelist means that to be working on the clock 24-7. And that means even when you are working, you're working while you're working. And remembering that, that you choose to work while you work. Um, that's how I was reached. I was reached in an ambulance with, with my nephew was in the ambulance, and the guy driving the ambulance asked me to come to church with him. So on the clock, that's how I came to Christ, because somebody was doing their job while they were doing their job. You know, and that's that's a really important factor to think about when we think about evangelism. We get really tired and discouraged and say, "It's a late night." You know, I worked eight hours today. I have some sleep, I got to get back up early in the morning or whatever it is. We make tons of excuses for God, but when we look in the, when we look in the Bible, we see that even in the midst of His tiredness and His exhaustion from walking from town to town, He was still choosing to look around, see the season He planted, and make it happen. So. <coughs> um, we need to be willing to work with tire uh, <coughs> we need to be tactful okay? <coughs> and this, is one of the, this is one of the biggest things that I, that I stress with my campus ministry especially with my guys is that there is tact when it comes to evangelism and a lot of people don't like, like to hear me say this <laughs> but you can't just walk up to somebody and ask them if they want to come to God, if they want to be a part of you some people do that but I guarantee you, and just through my experience, you have less success. And some people are like, well, if they don't want it, they don't want it. I'm like, well, you're presenting it in a way that they cannot want it. You know, because you have no idea what these people's lives were like with Jesus. You don't have no idea how their interactions with Jesus have been. You have no trust with these people and you have nothing. And you're just gonna walk up and ask them, Hey, do you wanna know more about Jesus? Oh wait, my name's Jake. What's your name? and that's we, we sometimes we'll, we'll lead with that I, I watch campus ministry even on my on my college campus, sit down with somebody with the Bible you know they'll walk up to a random table and be like hey uh, you got a minute to talk about God for a second you know and I'm just like in my head if that was me on the other side of that table I was like no I don't have a minute to talk about God like I don't even know you I don't know what you're gonna say and what's gonna go on or you know maybe you'll get that shy person that's like I uh, don't know, I'm here by myself, and I'm going to look like a jerk if I say no, and they're like, okay, <laughs> like, go ahead. Whatever, what are you going to say? And then they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but it's going in one ear and the other, or they'll just walk away from it. You may be, like, once again, you may get you may get a truth from that. <laughs> I'm not saying it's completely wrong, but I'm saying that there's a lot of tact that needs to go in to evangelizing. There's a lot of tact that needs to go in. Um, and we have to figure out, what some of those things are. And so, you know, what's what's worked for us in our campus ministries um, is we don't we don't make it we know it's about God, but we don't make those initial contacts about God. We don't make it immediately about your life needs to change immediately. But <clears throat> when you look at when you look at Jesus in the Bible, you realize very quickly that he's a relational guy you find out very quickly that he wasn't going around just preaching and then going from town to town preaching and being a little street preacher, going from, state, from place to place to place, and all he wanted to do was talk about God. He did not do that. He was very tactful. And even in this, even in this situation with this woman, it says in verse 7, the very first words out of Jesus' mouth was he shows up and he sits down right? And he's at this well and he's tired and exhausted and he sees a Samaritan woman that he's not supposed to associate with because she's a Jew or he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan and the first thing he says if you're thinking about evangelism once again he just looks and he says will you give me a drink of water? (laughs) You know like that's his first that's the first words to come out of his well it says will you give me a drink? And he you know and we all know who Jesus was right? We know he had motives behind the way that he said what he said but he didn't sit down and be like, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the living water." When no. you drink me, you'll never be thirsty again. <laughs> that, that would probably make that woman be like that girl or that guy on the other side of the table being like, "I don't want anything to do with you, man. Like, what are you saying?" Jesus had tact when he chose to talk to people. He had relations with these people. He chose not to make the first thing out of his mouth be about him. He wanted to make a relationship with people before he chose to go in into a more depth. And so what I want you guys to understand is evangelism <coughs> is making friends. You need to go up to your college campuses and not say, hey, you want to know more about Jesus? But you need to say, hey, my name's so-and-so and I'm a freshman here and I don't I don't know a lot of people. Do you, do you want to go to lunch together? You know, or there are sitting down lunch being like, hey, do you care if I sit with you today? I don't, none of my friends are here today and I don't know if I can sit down with you. Or going to the gym and being like, hey, can I play with you guys? Like, I, I just want to jump in a pickup game with you guys. Can I jump in that game with you guys? Or <coughs> noticing a shirt that, that just you know is something that you know about and being like, hey I, I know that too. Um and just being able to just spark a conversation with somebody and you have no idea where that's gonna go. You know, I had a <coughs> I had a mutter and taper come, we're working on our basement, and I had this guy come into our to our house um to finish up our basement, and we started uh super redneck trailer trash guy. And it's funny because he would, he would be talking at me saying that. But um, I mean, I didn't know, I hired him from Facebook or from a buy, sell trade site. So I have no idea who this guy is. He comes to my house. Um, you know, he's, he's a, re- a regular worker. You know, he's got the motor taper, all that, all the stuff on. He just looks super redneck. Um, I could just tell. And then I go upstairs and I hear him, I, I can hear him through the vents, just like cussing and talking about NASCAR. I thought it was super trailer trash, right? And <coughs> um, I go down there, uh, and I ask him, uh, what, "What did I say to him the first time I talked to him uh, that day?" I don't even remember what I said to him. I said something really silly, uh, but we got on, we got on, a, we got on, spot on. my daughter, and I said, "I said, I said something like, yeah, you guys can work, you guys can work as loud as you need My daughter Peyton's upstairs. Uh, she's sleeping though, but she's a, she's like a, a hard sleeper." And that was the first thing I said to this guy, just like that. And he goes, wait a minute. You have a daughter named Peyton? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, she's two years old. And he goes, I have a daughter named Peyton. <laughs> she's, like, she's two years old. <laughs> I said, well, I named my daughter after Peyton Manning. And he goes, no, cuss. He goes, no S. I named my daughter after Peyton Manning. <laughs> <laughs> and we sat there, and I said, "Yeah, I said I'm gonna name, I'm gonna put an, like an iconic sports figure on my kid's names." Uh, and I said, "We chose Peyton for, for football," and he goes, "Yeah, we just love Peyton Manning. Uh, in Bristol for NASCAR track." And I said, "All right, you lost me there, trailer trash. You lost me there, trailer trash. I can tell that's oh. too far, man." <laughs> and he goes, "Yeah, we just like NASCAR." <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> I mean. It was cool because you know, he was in my house for like a week, and then every day, like, we got pizza, we talked with him, and we invited a couple different church things, and he's he's gonna help me with some more stuff. But at, at that after that point, he had talked about his daughter, and I talked about his wife. But in that first initial conversation, it went from us both talking about our kids, and then he started to talk to me about how he was an alcoholic and how you know he had went on a huge bench and and just crazy things that happened in his life. Um, I, I didn't say a thing about any of it. I didn't. I didn't go down there and be like, "Hey, my name's Jacob. I came to minister for a church out here. You got any problems?" Talking about, them, you know? like it doesn't work like that. But you have to have tact with people. You have to build something, even if you don't expect anything to come out of it. Most of the time with our, a lot of our girls in our ministry, it's awesome because I hear them say things like, "Hey, I ran into this random girl at Starbucks, and like, just, and we were just standing in line for 20 minutes because that's what you do when you go to Starbucks. You stand there for forever and you never get the coffee." Um, but you get who are exactly like you and they just want to sit there and stare at each other while they try to get their coffee. But <clears throat> it's really cool because the the way that the way that you're supposed to evangelize it like that. It's not supposed to be this like it's it's supposed to be light. It's supposed to be let's let's be friends and then that can turn into something totally different. Instead of it going straight in boom let me know about let me know what you want to know about Jesus. You know? You build that trust, build that friendship and, and, and be tactful with how you choose to spark those conversations um <coughs> i'm gonna try to breeze through those last few ones but uh, the next one is you got you got to be able to go solo right it says in verse eight specifically if you got and it's kind of weird how i put it in the bible like this because it didn't put it in parentheses verse eight is just parentheses and it says his disciples had gone into the town to buy food why do we need to know that why do we need to know that his disciples weren't there and why do they put them like that? I think that one of, one of the biggest reasons is that Jesus is willing to work and nobody else is looking. You know, a lot of times we have like these ministry times, these evangelism times, like seven o'clock, let's meet here and then we're gonna kind of spread out. You know, you gotta be willing to go solo. You gotta be willing to do things in your dorms, in your apartments, and on campus at lunch times when nobody else is there. And a lot of times we, we wanna think like, okay, nobody else is here so they're not gonna know if I'm gonna really talk to them or not. They're like, you can like make up like this imaginary person, hey guys, I talked to you. Johnny this is today, and I, it, was, uh, it was good. It was a good day, you know? <laughs> we can make things up because nobody knows what we're doing when we're not around but i'll be the first one to tell you that the majority of the people that you're going to invest in are going to be in personal relationships the, mo- the majority of people who are you're going to evangelize that may actually want something are not going to be a hey come to this event hey come to this event not these mass invites okay it's going to be more of the sit down when nobody else is around and then sharing those stories with your ministries you guys got to be able to share those things hey i met this person today and it was awesome hey this other person in my ministry i met this person today and it, it should it will challenge your ministry and it will also encourage them to know like People are doing stuff. People are meeting people. Um, so you need to be able to go solo. And then uh, <coughs> in verse 13 and 14, uh, it looks like you've got to be appealing to them for their benefit. And I'm going to explain that. Uh, but in verse 13 and 14, it says, uh, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water, belonging to eternal life. And so, when you guys choose to evangelize, you've got to be able to give them something that's appealing. Um, So, not walking up to a a group of frat guys being like, hey, did you watch Gossip Girl yesterday because we're having a party tonight? And if you guys want to go to watch this Gossip Girl party, like, come, right? (laughs) And you're not going to get them guys. They're going to... Big old group of girls will be like, "Hey, y'all watch a game last night?" You know, they're, they're not gonna have a clue cool what you're talking about. But when you guys choose to talk to people, you need to be appealing to them. You need to have, you need to be able to give them something that's that's worthwhile to make them want to come into that. And there's there's appealing to the world those kind of worldly things, but also being appealing in a God way because those need to transition into, the, you know, we're not just about a group of people that watch games. We're not just the people that get to hang out. But there's something way much more for you that you have to offer. There's something so much more that God has offered to you. Offer. And you need to appeal to them that there's something that you have to offer that's gonna better their life. And at first, it may it may be those temporary things. So Jesus your crowds. People were appealed to Jesus not because of spiritual things at first. He your crowds, not just because they wanted to know him. He your crowds because there's food there. He your crowds because there's other people there. And people wanna be around people. People wanna be in the crowd. So Jesus drew people for totally ungodly things, but they stayed because they were something that was more appealing to their lifestyle. And so you need to appeal to both of those things. You need to find things that are appealing to your ministry that want to draw people in just from the outside surface things, but then you need to show things that are appealing to their personal lives. And so <laughs> just to kind of wrap this up, um, I had a couple verses to kind of help maybe encourage you guys or uh, to help keep you guys focused on this idea of manalism. But it says in Matthew 9, 37 to 38, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord for the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So just remembering, guys, <coughs> that there is a harvest out there on your college campuses. There is tons of fruit, tons of seeds that are waiting to be planted because there needs to be a harvest. But the problem is, is there's not enough workers. There's not enough people on our college campuses talking about God, becoming friends, evangelizing these people in a way that's going to bring them and draw them into our churches. There are some people doing it the wrong way, and then there are some people that's not doing it at all. But there's so much fruit just waiting for us to be able to pick it. But we don't have enough workers. And that's what God's asking you guys to be today is those workers. Um, And then just remembering that, you know, Luke 19, 10, it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's that's the whole reason Jesus came to earth, was to seek and save. And the only way that's going to happen is to spark these initial conversations. And so I'm hoping that you guys will think about that. Look at the, look at the mentality that Jesus had. Look at why he came. And, and go back through John 4 and read the effects of what happened with that Samaritan woman. Read what happened. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes I like reading things in the Bible when I study the Bible with somebody. And I'm like, you know what happened? And they're like, no. And I'm like, he never talked to that woman again and she wasn't affected with her life. You know, they're like, oh, that sucks. I'm like, no, nah, I'm just kidding. Like, there's more to it, right? Or, you know, they're about, like, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, whenever Philip evangelizes the, the eunuch. And I'm like, you know, you know what happened to that eunuch? No. Nothing happened there. It wasn't a big deal. And they're like, oh, that's a sense story. I'm just joking. He went back to Ethiopia, and he probably started this huge conversion of, of eunuchs, and there's a big problem that... Uh, percentage of Ethiopia that has a Christianity behind it, and it's probably drawn from Ethiopia. Oh man, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I, and it's just really cool to know that it doesn't matter the effects of the Bible, but it, it is inspiring to see what can happen from those fruits. Um, but I just want I really, really want you guys to think about the seeds. It's your job to get those seeds out of place. It is your job to go back home, find as many people as you can, and just talk to them and be their friends. Snapchat, whatever it is that you guys have. Be friends with these people before you try to convert them. And I think that your teachers in see so much more through that's committed because they know it wasn't, they weren't a project. They weren't just something that you, they felt like they had to be done for, for your benefit. But then they'll really see that it's more about the relationship. If we can apply some of these things, I think maybe next year we might, we may not fit here. You know, we may, we may be able to get something greater out of it. All right. So I'm going to pray. <coughs> and we're going to wrap it up, uh, guys. I want to thank you so much uh, that somebody chose to uh, plant that seed in my life. Um, it wasn't there. They didn't have to do it. They were tired. They were on the job. They didn't. There was no reason why uh, a friendship should have been built out of the circumstances that I was brought around. Uh, but you know. Amidst the the tiredness and uh, the jobs they were on and whatever, they chose to plant a seed in me and I'm so grateful because I think that I've turned into a fruit that's really trying to glorify you and uh, change my life and my marriage and my kids Uh, and it all came from somebody planting a very small seed uh, to invite me to a softball tournament um, from something super small. And so I pray that, you know, we can think about those kind of things too and, and to remember how small our first interaction was with somebody, how small that seed was and where we've come from, the how we've grown into some of these mighty trees and some of these pillars in our campus ministries. And some of us are, are still really young, but we have that fire and that passion and want to go back out and give that to other people. So I pray wherever we're at, that we can remember that these seeds that we're, we're called to plant can, can grow into enormous, huge benefits for your kingdom. So I pray we can go back home and we cannot just target people, but we can look at our whole campus ministry and say, there are so many people here uh, that, that we need to become friends with, that we need to evangelize to, and then to be able to see the fruit, maybe not immediately, but that one day that uh, they will turn to something great for you, Lord. I pray in Sunday son's name. Amen.